Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Coming up, we've got the second part of a conversation with Tim Bird and Simon Morton, all about their work in the wider world of comics. But first, a reminder of a wonderful offer we have on some upcoming titles. This September, we'll be publishing three cracking new books from some wonderful creators. Retrograde Orbit by Christina Bashinsky, Follow Me In by Kat Chapman, and a print edition of Honor Sunbeam, Tilly Warden's award-winning webcomic. We're currently running a deal on our web store where you can get all three of these amazing books for the bargain price of just £50. Not only does that price get you three of the best books you'll pick up this year, but each of those books will come with a limited edition numbered book plate signed by the artist. Go to averyhillpublishing.com and click on shop in the top left corner to snap up one of these bundles now. There's just a few left. In other news, we were delighted to see Tilly Warden pick up an Eisner Award last month for Spinning, her fantastic memoir published by the fine folks over at Self Made Hero. It's a phenomenal read and a massively deserved award. Congratulations, Tilly. Our star spotlight this month is on Orbital Comics of London. A lovely little shop that does a great range of events, has a nice selection of self-published material and a brilliant bunch of back issues. You can find the store at 8 Newport Street in London, just off Charing Cross Road. Visit their website at orbitalcomics.com and you can follow them on Twitter, at Orbital Comics. And now here's some information on another comics podcast you may enjoy. Need another podcast all about comic topics, reviews, and just general chit-chat? Then join David Robertson, Fernando Pons, Mike Sadakat, Giuseppe Lambertino, and me, Tom Stewart, at That Comic Smell. You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes, and on Twitter and Instagram at That Comic Smell. Pull up a chair and join us. Back to our chat between Tim and Simon now, and we join the conversation as Tim comments on the composition of Simon's latest work. I like the fact that there's quite a lot of prose in it as well. There's just pages of, of text, um, and that it works really well with the comics because it reinforces what, what the illustrations are showing, but contrasts with it as well, and it just makes the books really interesting. I think like one of the things that, you know, so talking about Rings of Saturn and and, and and all that stuff. I was just mm. reading an article online because the thing about the Sabant is he he writes entirely in prose, but every now and then there's sort of a black and white grainy photo, which is sort of part of the, the story that he's telling. I was reading a piece of criticism about, you know, reflective criticism on, on that process and what these pictures meant and where and when they, they felt didn't work. And I just think that there's something that isn't, that is really exciting about work that explores the different things because you know as comics artists we're really interested in like the sequential narrative the, the importance of image and word as a balance as a as a, a rhythm and as a rhyme and as a way of telling a story and obviously prose does the same thing but when you put things together it's quite easy to assume that like oh that is an illustration that accompanies this text but this text is the primary thing i'm really interested in playing with is like how like this picture is like the start of a story but then it which would make sense without the text, yeah. and you read the text, and then then it goes into a bit of a comic, and then it, and then it hits something which isn't just an illustration; it is just a, a pictorial depiction of what is said in words. And then, by no means, have any idea what I'm doing, but <laughs> it, it is fun. It's working really well. I think. Thank you. Yeah. The um, so talking about being like a perfectionist, like the prose, like so I've written doing a PhD and being an academic for a living. I write a lot, but I don't necessarily write in this way a lot. Yeah. But so. It's a real learning curve for me. I'm kind of quite comfortable with the journey of drawing and making comics and images and stuff like that and comfortable with sort of how they 
how they work and how they and how comics fit together because I've been doing it for a long time now. But prose, I am definitely making it up to go along. And I sit there and oh my god, I like look at like one word or one comma and endlessly like change it and then put it back yeah. and then change it, put it back. So that that that's still a bit of a pain. But you know how it goes, I guess. And another thing I like about minor leagues that you've um, you've changed since Smoo is the the letters page and this mm. sort of connection that you, you're building with the readership. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So the the other kind of issues of minor leagues before and hopefully after this project's done are kind of built around this idea of you know, the collection of different stories and different reflections about stuff that's happening. Some are serious, some are sad, some are funny. I hope people get that they're funny. <laughs> and, um, and and they kind of sit together kind of as, I kind of think of it as like, you know, a letter to a friend. And there's always a couple of people who I know, you know old friends or whatever, that I feel like I'm writing to when I'm writing the comics. Like I have this imagined sense of who that is. Um, and so I've always kind of thought about my work as a kind of a, and then as a dialogue with the people who read it, because, you know, I, I make everything at home, I print it at home, I'm a little printer and I've got staplers galore and, and stuff like that and guillotines to trim everything down because mm-hmm. that's really important to me that I have that kind of connection. So the letters page was like deliberate attempt to try and like put their other people's stories back into the story. And like a lot of letters pages in comics tend to be, you know, this person writes in and praises your comic, and I don't, I don't yeah. want to include that stuff because that's just a bit weird to me. Um, yeah, not because I, you know that happens that often or anything either, <laughs> but at all. But you know, when people write yeah. in and kind of are talking or write to me, or we, you know, we exchange emails and sort of reflecting a little bit about like life, and if if the narrative of that somehow fits with the narrative of the, the zine, the zine itself, then it kind of feels really nice to have that built in. So, yeah, it kind of, you know, sometimes I, we, we are such a kind of brief, we are in a history of brevity. So it's actually quite rare that people will send emails, I think, to one another of sufficient length <laughs> to yeah. get a meaningful paragraph out of things, you know, because yeah. we tweet and we instant message and we do all that stuff. Was it in one of your zines, there was um, just a list of your, like, really early tweets that's right, yeah, that yeah. was Minor League One. That oh, was, yeah. so I first joined Twitter, I think, in about 20, 2007, something like that, maybe, oh, yeah. eight. And for the first 18 months, I tweeted only in the third person, because okay. I... Yeah, that was kind of a thing. I think I think quite a few people did that. Yeah, because I thought that, like, it was an extension or, or, or a family akin to, like, the Facebook update. Yeah, like. so it's like, yeah, because it said, what are, you, what, what are you doing? Does it still yeah. say that? Yeah. So Simon is, yeah. oh, Simon is walking down the street. Simon yeah, has drunk right, much yeah. cider or whatever it was. And I was looking back and going, oh my, because I deleted that account. But I sort of downloaded the archive and I thought, you know, if we're talking about like opening yourself up for scrutiny, there's nothing better than like social media, yeah. essentially bad diary entries, yeah, <laughs> kind of taking the piss out of yourself. And so I've still got some, so I've kept the journal, of, I had kept the journal of, stuff as well but in my sort of like teens and a little bit in my early 20s and so i'm kind of probably going to put some of them in a future future zine if it if it fits the rest of the content because nothing nothing better to keep yourself in check than to look back at what you wrote when you were an earnest 19 year old yeah i'm not sure i could go back to those things (laughs) (laughs) to be honest i'm not i'm it is an act of like 
self-flagellation to put them out in the world because it just yeah it's not <laughs> they're not good but yes yeah, so, i mean that that stuff all kind of ties into the whole idea of the zine anyway so this whole like doing a doing a big book and serializing it over mm. like two or three issues is kind of a new thing for me because i've only ever done like standalone issues and, and stuff like that it's easily like the biggest project i've ever undertaken yeah this uh this as yet unnamed book i was just thinking about some of your self-published work as well because you've done around the stuff that avery hill have put out i normally after i've finished a sort of they're not really big projects but projects i've put a lot of time into mm. i i often quite like to do um just something a bit more fun so i did a comic about uh ronnie o'sullivan the snooker player and <laughs> just one specific frame of snooker and then i did this rock and pop comic about the songs i like and they're just things i can kind of do fairly quickly and i got them printed at, at a printer because they were in color rock and pop i've re redone now in black and white so i'm going to print that off at home mm. and that feels really nice to yeah, do something myself and uh, not 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 worry about it so much because doing stuff with Avery Hill, I do worry, like, what if it's not good enough? And then, <laughs> you know, they might it seems to be doing so well at the moment. I'm just like, if I, if I do some more work with Alan, I'd be like, hey, you know, you're doing so well. Here's <laughs> yeah. Shit. yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really good to have them behind it. Just, I mean, with this Great Northwood book, they've, just arrange so much um, like like stuff in the local press and media and things. So it's really helped push push the book out to new readers, which is fantastic. Because that's something that I think about as, as well. Because I mean, the great thing about self publishing is you get to kind of experiment and explore with your your voice and try new things, and and there's a lot less kind of pressure in that sense, which is really nice. And I think that like you know, I I started self publishing because I knew that I. By the time I'd finished the first issue of whatever I'd done, and by the time anybody saw it, the dozen or so people who saw Smooth One, yeah. um, I would be already working on the next thing, and I'd already be improving. And so once you kind of yeah. get over that fear, if you like, of what people are going to think, or that feeling that the first thing you do has to be the best thing ever, which yeah. very much struck by, you can kind of just keep going. And then, yeah, and then if opportunity is... Um, emerges um, like it has done for us with Avery Hill and, and other people like then we then you can kind of do something a bit more cohesive and then you can kind of like you say step away and experiment and stuff like that but the, but then we often exchange those items in places where not everybody comes to if you know what I mean yeah like it's funny that we're talking about it because I think I think did you and I meet for the first time I think we met at a comics thing in New Cross in like Evan no uh, I, I didn't go to that but you I'm sure you met Dave and Ricky there. Oh. But I, I remember buying at Smoo 3 at Thought Bubble in 2010. Ah, so it was Thought Bubble, yes. I knew it was about that era. Yeah. but So yeah. I wasn't making comics there at, at that time. I, I went as a visitor, kind of because Thought Bubble in Leeds is near, near where my family lived, and it was mm. around my birthday. So it's just like, it'll be fun to go. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I wasn't really making comics or even thinking about making them, but just visiting that and seeing like all the sort of self-published, yeah. I guess, scenes or self-published comics. It was a big sort of inspiration for me to, to start. And then it was a year or so after that that I, well, in fact, no, it was really quick after that that I started making comics and got involved with Avery Hill by uh, sending them some stuff for um, Tiny Dancing, the, the zine they were 
and they were putting together at that time. Uh, yes, because I think I had something in, in that as well, in one of those, I can't remember which issue it was now, was it maybe four? Uh, yeah, they'd been doing it a while before I'd um, found out about it, so yeah, probably four or five or something. Yeah, that's probably about right, yeah. And it's just funny, yeah, it's funny thing how, how, how the, uh, the Empire has grown from their days doing that, which, yeah. which is really great. Um, but it's always been such a like a passion project, I guess, for them, and continues to be because it's mm. yeah, still they're still putting out stuff they they love, and um, I guess that's how it has to be, really. So. Definitely, and like, and I think the comics environment has changed in well, in numerous ways, um, some better, some worse over the over the last few years. Um, but certainly since I've been doing it, the kind of the proliferation of kind of comic shows that are sort of about like the CAFs, you know, like the East London Comic Arts Festival, right, yeah. TCAFs, SL, um, no, what other CAFs are there? There's a few CAFs, TCAF, CCAF, okay. but, yeah. but which kind of really kind of elevates or attempts to elevate this kind of sense of self-publishing comic scenes, narrative drawing, art thing into a kind of a new space, which I think is really good. I mean, I know that when I started out, we would go to conventions that were definitely more oriented towards traditional superhero comics. And yeah. me and my friend Nick Socek would be sat there with our weird hand-stapled autobiographical pencil drawings. And, and there would be people coming around saying, hello, will you draw me Batman? And then oh, wow. look at our work and then they would go, on second thoughts, <laughs> and disappear. Yeah. And that aside, you know, it's like there, there are increasing audiences for different kinds of work, which I think is really positive. I think so. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff at the minute, and it is. Uh, I feel like I'm now one of the older people at mm. these things, and it is a lot of young people, um, and you're doing really, yeah, interesting stuff. Definitely, and I think I think that that's the um, that's the kind of obviously you know, with the more capacity is built for stuff, and the more people want to come in, unfortunately, the more capacity you need, and then there's always challenges about. You know, who's it? I think it was Gareth, Gareth Brooks. Was it Steve Tillotson? Somebody mm. mentioned, kind of half jokingly, you know, the gentrification of comic shows. Mm. Um, and I kind of see what they mean that, like, there was a kind of lot more kind of weirdo, rough and ready, you know, art shows or yeah. kind of DIY zine fairs, much more about thinking about marginalized voices and stuff like that. The kind of that are kind of, I think, coming back now, but for a while were sort of absent because people kind of all piled into this one space. And I know that when we started the Bristol Comic and Zine Fair in 2011, we did it because there was nothing else around for us at that particular point in time. I think that's the same year LCAF started, or maybe LCAF started the year before. But So we kind of just started something in our own image, in, yeah. our, own, in our own interest, I guess. And now it's like, I'm not involved in it organize it anymore but it's it's a beast now in terms of the yeah. fact that they're incredibly oversubscribed and, yeah i just and, found out that I, I i didn't get a table for it so I'm a bit oh, no. <laughs> yeah. which um yeah i'm disappointed because i uh i've enjoyed it the past couple of years i've been but um yeah absolutely just that i think they had over 300 uh yeah. applicants for maybe 80 tables i think they said so yeah that's right yeah. and, and and there's all these kind of challenges. I was talking to Ez, who's the director the other day about it, and it's the problem that they face is that they literally do not have the space, but because of, you know, understanding concerns about money and time and actually growth, like 
you start to get too big. Like I don't go to Thought Bubble anymore because it's too big. It's not it's not worth it as far as I'm yeah, concerned. I mean, which is like this on Thought Bubble yeah. or the people who, who, who run it or, or go there. But for me personally, it doesn't make sense. And and so the zine fair is trying to kind of keep that sweet balance between like big enough but not too big. And so many people are coming out of the woodwork now because they see themselves or as a potential space for representation in those spaces. But they have to make, you know, a team of only a couple of people, really, I think three people. Yeah. They have to make some really hard decisions. And as we're saying to me, like, you know, they, they literally couldn't have everybody that they wanted to be there. But then at the same time, if you grow it, you've got to be really careful about that because it becomes, it can distort if you know what I mean, like yeah, definitely, yeah. And and it's real. I don't. None of us have any answers for that. I don't think, except you know, a bit like the South London comic and scene fair. So CZF, which I know that you've been, oh, you've done yeah. the uh, Yeah, Gareth, so Gareth runs that, and he mm. has to be very selective as well. With, yeah. And it's really, really hard because curation is inherently problematic, but at the same time. You have to be really careful because actually, if you do first come first serve, well, I guess there's a fairness to that. But then there's something also about I know from my days in the British Comic and Zine Fair that there are people who will come to you want to be part of it, whose audience is not your audience, and whose who whose work is not representative of your values as an organizer, um, and that there might be other spaces where their their work is better suited to be, but. Then at the same time, are you presupposing <laughs> what you're Yeah, it's, it is really difficult. And it's, yeah. and it's not easy, and I don't think we found the answer. But I think what I was going to say, the thing about like South London thing is just like, and because obviously Gareth is another one of the old guard, yeah. as it were. I yeah. mean, he's been around around it longer than I have. But it's to, it's to where possible, if it's, if it's is to do something yourself. I mean, you know, if you're feeling that like there could be some extra capacity, and I know the organisers of BCZF and Bristol kind of say the same kind of stuff. Like, it's not competition if you want to do another zine fair in the year, another comic and zine fair. You know, it's it's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. The... I know uh, uh, Henry Miller has set one up in um, in Catford, in, also in South London. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. And that's um, hopefully going to happen again in, in December this year. And that's really mm. nice, kind of, he just rents a room above a pub. And it is that kind of idea of... You know, maybe he wasn't, you know, he felt that he wasn't getting the opportunities to exhibit stuff, so he set, just set his own thing up. And it's... One of the other big challenges that shows, though, is, is increasingly as they become the source of income, one of the major sources of income for people who make comics or illustrations and so on for a living or for the best part of their living, then it's quite precarious when you don't know if you're going to get in or you're applying for something in January and you don't hear out until, you know, hear about it in June. And then, and so I really understand that side of it. And I guess I have to recognise that because I have a day job that I can be yeah. more selective of things that I go to and, and I don't rely on it to make a living. So there is also that problematic as well, isn't there, which is... Yeah. Dumb. But then also, isn't it the same in all sorts of markets and shops whereby you're trying to kind of find a voice in an audience. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking aloud now. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really good point. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I don't rely on comics for making my living either, so I, I guess I'm quite, I am quite privileged that I 
I don't have to worry about it so much. But yeah, no, you're right. If if people do have to worry, yeah, it becomes a it becomes a difficult decision to make. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's the, because there are those different motivations for why we do what we do. I think the whole gamut, if that's how you say that word, should be represented from those who just do it because they make stuff. Those who who really want to do it because they believe in it, but but are able to kind of take some of the financial precarity out of it with other income sources, which is kind of, you know, it's definitely, for me, it's definitely more than the hobby. And I do have ambitions to kind of continue to grow my readership and do stuff and get things published and do all of that kind of stuff. But I also do it, you know, I make the trade-off of like, well, I could spend more time doing it, but I'm going to develop this other work, I guess, in my day job, which I'm very privileged to have, which I really enjoy and which involves working with a lot of arts organisations anyway, working with them to kind of do a lot of things that I think are really important, like DIY creativity, increasing diversity in audiences, helping them communicate their value to funders and so on and so forth. So a lot of my work is kind of, now the thing is I'm part of my DIY stuff in a different kind of way. And then you have the other people who, for whom this is, this is their living and this is what they do. And it's hard for them probably not to feel somewhat disenfranchised when, when their only source of income for July or August is a, is a comic show that won't have them. But then I don't really know how you how you change that. You know, we've got more more demand than we have capacity for. Yeah. And then, and then you have this thing where you have like every weekend there's another show, and sometimes shows are kind of like maybe we need to get over the kind of this is the show to be at kind of attitude. Yeah. Because actually, so. that means that people are like well if I didn't get the Elcaf that weekend then that's it. Well, what am I going to do? But if there's other stuff happening around the country, you can actually ease some of the burden because also not everybody's in London as yeah, well. So. That's a good point. Seeing on Twitter that there seems to be some good shows in Sheffield and Birmingham and mm. things that I'd quite yeah. like to get along to. But to go back to, I was going to say something about audience as well. Something that I, I find because I my work obviously sits at like I guess like the indices between like per zine, so personal zines, yeah. and, and, and kind of art comics, I guess, and I guess kind of a bit more like literary prosy stuff. Like I sometimes think that a lot of people who wouldn't, who don't know about zines but don't really read comics quite like my material, and yeah. I think the same is true of yours. So it's really good to hear like local press and local events and stuff that you're kind of connecting with that audience outside of the comic shows. Yeah, I think that... That is quite important to me as well. Yeah, yeah, because the, the the sort of I often feel at comic shows the audience is just kind of other creators buying each other's work, and so it is. I know people do come to buy stuff as well, but it's nice to reach out to people who maybe don't read comics all the time as well. So I think I'd quite like to try and find some other kind of literary festivals to maybe try and sell comics at. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of, I think, where I'm interested in kind of exploring as well. It's just sort of having somehow at some point tricked myself into thinking that the comic shows were the be-all and end-all of my yeah. distribution. And then suddenly going, you know, I think about like Aaron Comet Bus, who's an American zine maker, who's been doing a zine Comet Bus for, God, probably about 30 years now, probably right. longer mostly based around the Bay Area in California, but I think he's in New York now. But whenever he moved around the country, the story goes, whether it's true or not, that he just went into every shop and just said, we sell my zine, we sell my zine. Yeah. And, you know, not, and, and he, I think at some point, the stories go again, whether it's true or not, I don't know. He had, you know, readership in the tens of thousands for a zine. And that's, like, insane yeah. in many ways. But, 
but it's that kind of approach just like I'm not going to be precious about who about my imagined audience I'm just going to put this stuff out there and hopefully somebody in these different places will read this because I mean I often think like would I go to a comic or an arts fair thing if I didn't make comics yeah well this is what I think as well and you know there's a this when I don't get into them that, that, that was it safari earlier this year it's like um, I didn't go to look at what other people were doing, but perhaps I should have done. But yeah, I don't think I've ever been to one. No. I, don't think, I don't really know. But then it's work for us, isn't it? So it's. Suppose, yeah. I've got my day off. I'm not going to. <laughs> and some of the day off work, you know, busman's holiday and stuff. Yeah, it yeah. Really... I, I do feel, I guess, a bit guilty as well that because I do draw lots of my comics I tend to draw sort of in the evening once my kids are in bed and I'm not spending time with my wife and stuff so do I really want to go out on a weekend like without her to look at other people's comics yeah and you know I do think that as I've got older as well wearing things like the identity and the importance of comics to who I was and who I am and it being part of my my social life and it being a need and a thing to be part of that community in a very specific way you know going to full bubble going to the awful after party staying out when i do mm. all that kind of stuff and now i just i mean i'm only 35 so i'm not exactly old but now i but by comics standards maybe i am but i just quite like staying at home hanging out with my cat and my wife and yeah. you know doing plant, growing, growing our plants in the garden on the allotment and making art and and doing that stuff and I'm very lucky to be in that position that I can do that stuff but also I have actively sought out and constructed a, an environment when I do that and I, I don't drink nearly as much as I used to I went through a phase of drinking so much that it became mm. possibly on the borderline towards basically possibly maybe being a problem at some point if I carried on oh, and yeah. so now I don't really think about those spaces ones that I'm hugely fussed about going to and, and so there is that other thing that like how do you keep your hand in the community if actually you don't participate in the way that maybe can be expected yeah it's true but then at the same time i've got loads of friends who make comics such as yourself and enjoy talking to them and hanging out with them and seeing people when i do and it's a really amazing thing to have this whole other support network of people some of whom i've never even met um, yeah and the world that that share your values and your interests and your excitements and your passion for stuff and that is something that I think is probably one of the most important things I've got from making comics. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I've, I've always felt like I, I didn't quite, I wasn't quite in the comic scene. I guess I had fallen into it. For, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really go to the, many of the social things. Yeah. No, I'm pretty antisocial anyway. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I like them when it's a bunch of antisocial people being antisocial. But yeah. yeah, and it's okay, you know, and I think, so, you know, certain of these, these spaces particularly have to be developed and, and run and created and, and owned by the people in whose image they want to make it next if you see what i mean so like i made this we made the zine fair happen in bristol because we sort of needed that thing for ourselves and then and then at some point somebody else who might come along and do something that they need and then they might be a younger person with a different set of passions and politics and ideas and i think that's where that i think what we should do is support those people to keep changing the kind of the makeup of these spaces and, and and the way we envisage what art is and can do because that's how you get like you know inclusive voices in and that's how you kind of topple and i think we've already done a lot to topple the kind of the demographic of particular kinds of traditional comic spaces but more to it but there's only so much that 
you know, some of us as we get older and turn into comics dinosaurs can actually yeah. do. I mean, not do, but we can support people to do that. I mean, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, I think that is um, something that is happening in the sort of small press comic scene. And don't know how yeah. how much attention you pay to the kind of mainstream comics, but I think that's really lagging behind. Yeah. I get that's what the impression that I get as well. I don't really know much about about that world, but but I know that a lot of those problems, even if they're not, they're being challenged a lot. And I think, yeah. you know, and even in the arts comics world, so Two D Cloud, I can't remember the details, so maybe I probably shouldn't go into it too much. But but a couple of their artists were accused of sexual assault, and uh, and they, you know, Two D Cloud do a lot of kind of art comics, really beautiful, amazing stuff, and they. Mm just said this isn't in line with our stuff and they, they dropped them and basically I think they um, shredded their um, their backstop of those artists. Oh. They destroyed them. Yeah. I think cost to themselves, no doubt, and I think that also led to a, a leadership change as well yeah. um, to some extent. And so they're really interesting because they're trying to live out the politics that they believe in and I know it's been a struggle for them from what I understand of reading about them and I think that they're, they're quite open about a lot of things. They blog about a lot of things that people associated with it. So it's a really difficult to know how to do these things, but people are doing them and trying it. And I think that's what we all have to try and do in our own way. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah important that we try and make change happen. Yeah, and, and we can't be the agent of change, the forces of the change, that we can certainly try and help support, support people to make those changes, I guess. Thanks to Tim and Simon for that, and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Hold Fast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.